Hello, and thank you for joining us on the Deeper Listening Podcast. My name is John Frew, and I'm here with my co-host, Justin Bruce. We want to help you discover new music from bands that you already know and bands that you don't. And as you know, if you've listened to our prior episodes, we're not technically music experts, but we're definitely music nerds, middle-aged dads who enjoy discovering music, whether it's new or old or old and we used to know it and we forgot about it, but we're getting back into it. So we are going to jump in here for sure. Exactly. And in this episode, we're going to jump into the complete Fiona Apple catalog. We're going to use the idea of deeper listening to track her music from her incredible debut album in 1996 through what I consider to be the perfection of 2020's Fetch the Bolt Cutters. We aim to give the albums that you know context and to look for the hidden gems that make being a music fan so rewarding. Like most people, I was a huge fan of her debut. I was 15 back in 1996 when it was released. I loved the acclaim that her most recent release garnered at the beginning of the pandemic, even though I was pretty much in the dark about most of her output in between. So this project is literally a perfect fit for the goal of the Deeper Listening Podcast. We want to walk away knowing more than we did before we started and have some fun in the process. So let's not dilly-dally. Let's do some Deeper Listening to Fiona Apple. So Fiona Apple is a three-time Grammy Award-winning artist. Every one of her five albums has made it into the top 15 of the U.S. charts. She was born into an extremely creative family. Fiona herself was classically trained at a very young age, and she began composing songs at eight years old. And yes, that is correct, I did say eight. So here's the thing that I think resonated with me so much and with so many other people that I've talked to about her. I think it's the universal experience um, that she conveys so clearly with her lyrics and her music. And to me, the universal experience there is about suffering and it's about heartbreak. Unfortunately, I don't think anybody gets to avoid either of those things in a, you know, in a full lifetime. And she just does a really good job of conveying that in a way that comes across as sincere, sometimes as extremely biting, sometimes in a kind of a really tender way. And she just, you know, I think that she kind of finds a way to give a voice to people that have that are either currently hurt or have been hurt. And the cool thing about her discography, as we're going to talk about, is that it's almost like she's able to do that on deeper and deeper and deeper levels as she grows and matures as a person, which was really fascinating to kind of follow along with, but also to see as a mirror for my own life. So, yeah, you're totally right. She knows a little about suffering and a little about heartbreak. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's like anybody that's been through it or is going through it. I mean, you know, it's uh, it really it really strikes that chord and it really can, you know, it can bring you to that place quickly. So with that, um, I think that we should just jump right into title. Uh, uh, so, Justin, anybody that's our age had a copy of this album when we were when we were growing up. The whole thing is just filled with amazing songs. What is just almost impossible to me to think about is that she wrote a lot of this album when she was, before she was even 17. It's absurd. It's Uh, literally crazy to think about how 
she sounds like a fully grown adult and you have to remind yourself no she's literally a teenager you know as this is coming out just barely i think turning 20 a couple weeks after the album debuted exactly and and, you know what i think about this it's like you know she was swimming you know she was swimming in the deep end of the pool at 17 i was swimming in the shallow end with floaties you know what i mean like this is so far above my maturity pay grade at the time i really always liked the music but i don't think that i really understood the depth of the music until going back and listening to this as an adult so you know for me there are a lot of comparisons that I have heard people talk about to people like Tori Amos and, and, and other artists. You know, I can only imagine that, you know, that, that they are fans of each other. And I mean, you know, these artists have a way of really, really going in deep and doing it in a way that's, that is, it's passionately done, but it's also concisely done to where they really get to the point really quickly and they find that way to really pull that emotion out of you that they're, uh, you know, and, and you, you feel it all right along with them. That was something that I kind of admired as we went through a discography is her economy of words. Uh, every word uh, has weight and every word matters. But yeah, uh, like you, what struck me about listening to this as a 40-year-old uh, versus a 16-year-old, it's maturity. Lyrically, uh, vocally, even just the way she's able to sing at this age, instrumentally, uh, the piano, the vibraphone, just everything is just absurdly well put together and when i think of fiona apple i do think of this album cover i think of the video to criminal which we'll talk about Uh, but my stock memory of her is from the 97 uh, mtv vma awards where she famously kind of got up there and uh, said everybody out there that's watching this world is bs and you shouldn't model your life around what we think is cool talking about celebrities and what we're wearing and what we're saying and everything just go with yourself and i think there's obviously a lot of merit to that message it's a great message but it was derided as oh here's this sort of difficult person spazzing out for lack of a better word during her acceptance speech. And I almost feel kind of ashamed that, you know, if you scan my brain for like mid to late nineties, Fiona Apple memories, that probably one of the first things that would pop up there. That's just, uh, you know, the hazards of being a consumer of kind of pop culture, like the MTV generation that we are. Exactly. You know, and it's funny because I think about that right now and it's like, you know, what a mature take that actually is. You know what I mean? Like, don't pay attention to what celebrities are doing. Do what, what, you know, what works for you, you know, go with yourself. Like that's a very, uh, that's a very powerful three words. And how many people are truly at a place in their life where they do that on a regular basis and they really go with, with what it is that makes them happy, regardless of, you know, regardless of what the consumer world tells them is what should make them happy. Yeah, we should have all been listening to 16 or 17-year-old Fiona Apple back in 1997. So obviously wise beyond her, wise beyond her years. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, sometimes you hear people referred to as an old soul. And, you know, that, that definitely seems to apply with her. And even, you know, the maturity in the, in the way that she sings. I don't think that anybody would really listen to any of her songs and think this is a kid singing this. You know, if you close your eyes and listen to it, it's like, you know, this is a this is a mature woman that is, you know, that is singing this in in the way that she does. It's just really it's going to be difficult not to repeat myself over and over again. She is so immensely talented. 
And, you know, I was every time that I have been through her music, you know, preparing for this podcast, going through the albums, I went through them chronologically and then I went through them one by one and really dug in. And the whole time I just found myself being more and more impressed with what she was doing, more and more blown away by what she was doing and really stopping. And, you know, we've talked about this before on the podcast that I don't spend a lot of time listening to lyrics. But with this, almost the entire dive was listening to lyrics and and relating to the lyrics and, you know, and feeling the feelings that the lyrics evoked in me. Um, So anyway, we should probably actually start talking about the music now. So (laughs) let's jump right into the the first track of uh, of title, which is Sleep to Dream. I got my feet on the ground and I don't go to sleep to dream. You got your head in the clouds, you're not at all what you seem. And my goodness, what a great way to introduce yourself to the world great lyrics you know it makes you immediately feel the apathy that she's feeling in, in, in the song a few things that stick out right away is, is how just well recorded it is the production is just unbelievable the bass drum in particular uh, it's something that you know the way that it's mic'd you know it's just recorded really really well and the song itself just has such a swagger to it and you know this is something again that's just it's just almost impossible to believe that a 16 17 year old person wrote this song yeah and i definitely think that you know she benefited from some incredibly professional production in the studio the bass and the drums that open the album are aggressive and if you've got your speakers turned up, your headphones turned up, like it's going to smack you around a little bit. I love how her lyrics are straightforward. Uh, you do not you know, really need to listen incredibly closely. I feel like sometimes we listen to albums nowadays and you, you've really got to sort of strain uh, to pick up what's being said. Everything is out on the table uh, for you to take a look at and for you to consume. But the straightforward lyrics somehow manage to, at the completion of a verse or a couplet of lines, paint a fuller picture than what the words are even saying. Like you say, love is a hell you cannot bear. And I say, give me mine back, my love, and then go there to hell for all I care. It's like in your face, slam poetry. And I pick up on this 90s hip hop influence. And a lot of that's probably just knowing that she grew up in Harlem and in Manhattan uh, in the 90s. Uh, but for whatever reason, I found myself when I needed a Fiona detox going back, I listened to Wu-Tang after I listened to some of these albums. I listened to some older Kanye West after listening to some of these albums. And it was just like that. Uh, you forget how ingrained into the culture, some of that like mid nineties, uh, East coast hip hop was, but you can tell it even in this teenage girl's poetry turned into, you know, song. We get into the next track, Sullen Girl. And I mean, this to me feels like an end of the album, meditative sort of a situation, but this is track two. And what did you think of it? It's so good. Yeah, same thing. I mean, you know, the the whole thing, like the, the sultry vocal styling, and it's got a really beautiful melody that's in there. 
you know, there's there's just a whole lot of just like incredible elements to the song. And there's like this jazz feel to it, to the drumming, um, you know, and then the added pedal steel just really makes the song. I mean, it's, you know, her music in general really kind of defies the genre. And, and when you look at how she's classified for, you know, for so many different things, there's a lot of different descriptions that are used to classify her music. And, you know, it kind of gets lumped into alternative, which I think is kind of a slap in the face, to be perfectly honest. You know, there's, I think, there probably 15 different ways that I've read that her music was classified. So, like, you know, everything from, like, jazz to, you know, it's just, it's, it's almost endless. It's, you know, it's worth going to look up. How funny, I feel like every sort of cosmic country desert California indie album that's come out in the last couple of years leans heavily into the pedal steel like if you're you know making an indie album you better put some pedal steel on it and here we are in 1996 and there's some pedal steel very tastefully sort of layered into this album I mean and vibraphone in a pop ballad to just pick one of those 15 categorizations Uh, but I love the left hand, the strength of the low end of the piano. I don't play piano, uh, but I mean, you can tell that she's really leaning into that low end of the piano, which makes sense with her voice. And like I said, this feels like an album wrapping meditation. It feels like the last couple of tracks on uh, Wildflowers, that Tom Petty album, which I used to just like play on repeat and go to sleep to. Uh, But this is track two. Uh, which is just really impressive. And I love the particular lyrics. Uh, It's calm under the waves in the blue of my oblivion. Uh, It's just such a great depiction of maybe the the sea of emotions that can be happening under the surface uh, for some people. And because we're fish bros, this reminded me (laughs) of my favorite, one of my favorite Trey and a Stasio band songs, Liquid Time. Do you know that song? I do. I it's do, like yeah. a dire straits. Oh, God. So, so, so good. Uh, but in that song, he says, the water is so wide and the boat is so small. So I was making those like watery sort of lost at sea connections right away. If I had a Rolling Stone style, like personal top 100 songs, uh, there's no doubt that Sullen Girl uh, would be in it for me. This is probably my favorite track on the whole album. Yeah, I mean it's it, it really is. I mean it's it's a it's a beautiful track, and I think that for me, it's definitely up there as far as my favorite tracks on the album are concerned. Um, for me, that you know, I think that what might take the top spot in the entire thing is Shadow Boxer. Um, I just really thought that there was something, you know, there was something just special about about that song, you know. And I, I'm gonna do my best to not constantly repeat myself, but here's just another great example of where I'm just completely awestruck at, you know, at the maturity that, that showed and writing the song by such a young person. Uh, and I guess I'm laughing about it because it was like, I was such an idiot when I was that age, you know, oh, like I was not capable. The dumbest. You know, yeah. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't capable of, of any kind of deep thinking or self-reflection or any of, any of these kind of things. I wasn't even like, I wasn't even like aware enough to be angry in the way that she was angry. I was, I was stealing Choco tacos at my (laughs) kitchen dishwashing job at the local college. Hopefully the statute of limitations has run out, but that was me (laughs) as a 16 year old. And it's funny that I had to wait a couple of decades to grow into my brain, grow into my emotions to where this 
album again from a teenager really kind of started to resonate with me. But yeah, it hits a lot harder once you've lived some of your life uh, and, you know, you're, you're our age uh, versus back in the day. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, and there's, there is just, you know, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll give up on this, you know, on, on this particular way of wording it, there's just a really a maturity, a lived experience and like an emotional depth where knowing nothing about the artist would lead me to believe that, you know, that somebody has really, has really lived this and has really gone through it. She had a very tough life and she's had a lot of tragedy that's happened in her life. And I think that that has given her a lot of, you know, a lot of lived experience that she can, that she can certainly talk about. And I mean, it just, she's uh, just a master at, at, at creating music surrounding that whole idea. Here's a question for you. How much do you think her low vocal register contributes to kind of that believability as a mature person? Because I think of some other female artists uh, and I just feel like it's easier almost to connect with her Fiona Apple because she's in that very like it's the masculine end of the female register it's smoky it's intimate it's powerful it's uh, technically contralto which is below mezzo soprano and obviously below soprano and this is the you know the base end of the female vocal spectrum so her voice is a stunning tool but yeah it's almost like when you know you see someone you don't know what their voice sounds like and then they start talking and their voice sounds a couple octaves lower than you think (laughs) that can be a weird experience but with fiona that can be like a holy moly we got to listen to what she has to say this is someone who's lived yeah you know this is the it's it's rick astley right go on (laughs) it's the same thing you know they're never going to give you up guy right right like if you listen like close your eyes and listen to that song and tell me that it's some dweeby you know 17 year old kid that's wearing a suit that's too big singing it right he's a grown man he's like, right you know i mean and in, in, in this in his vocal range it certainly sounds like he is and for me listening to her in the vocal range that she's the most comfortable singing in it's really on you know to me is not in, a, in as technical of a way it's it's on the soulful end of the range and pop music tends to be more in the the, the high-end range i guess and then Whereas like soul and R&B and things like that, which we, I know for me, it's like, I, I tend to equate that with more lived experience, you know? So I think that it's, it's, it's more on that, on that end of the range to me. That's how I hear it. Totally random thinking like Brittany Howard of Alabama shakes. hundred uh, percent. Yeah. That kind of thing versus, you know, what would come later in the nineties, like, you know, your Christina Aguilera's or, you know, not, not a lot for me to connect with, uh, you know, with the Britney Spears uh, vocal registers of the world. But yeah, I, I do think that her low end register does definitely uh, lend to her maturity, uh, but also, you know, her life experiences. And we get into Criminal, which is the song that literally everybody knows. Uh, everyone knows the video uh, for sure. And it's funny, John, because like listening to this whole album, Criminal, solid song she wrote it in 45 minutes on a lunch break recording because the studio was like we need a we need a single she's like fine i will give you a single here's your single uh and she wrote criminal lickety split 
but it was a little controversial. Like, you know, the, the video was like that mid-90s kind of heroin chic uh, sort of fashion world thing that people uh, were right to critique and criticize. I don't know, what did, what did you think about it? How do you think it kind of holds up uh, so many years later? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, you know, if, if you've only heard one Fiona Apple song, this is the one that you've heard. Um, it was a huge hit. You know, and I remember I remember when the song came out. I mean, this you, you heard this thing all the time. It's a really cool song. You know, it went all the way to number two on the charts. Um, the video to the song, it's, you know, your mental image of Fiona Apple is the acceptance speech in 97. My mental image of Fiona Apple, when I think back it back to it, is of her, you know, slowly stripping down in this video, biting her lip and suggestively looking at the camera. She made me feel all of the teenage feelings, you know, when I was when I was watching her. And at, to be fair, age. you you were a teenager at the time, which I feel like is yeah. important, even though she was sort of uh, portrayed as an adult. Uh, you know, it's it's not like the video for Criminal is her in like tenth grade English class. Like, I mean, you know, she's definitely being sexualized and portrayed as as an adult because I also, you know, had those feelings back in the mid nineties, and that was something that was like really. Uh, you know, I had some, some guilty feelings uh, about, uh, but that's just coming from the perspective of, you know, a middle-aged man link, thinking back, you know, right. to uh, totally different and just a different scenario nowadays. But yeah, you're, you're right. That like sort of uh, sullen girl <laughs> image, uh, but like, you know, in the, in the tub and the party and everyone's passed out. It's like, again, I'm washing dishes and stealing Choco tacos. And like, she's at least in this video, you know, living this wild life that couldn't have been farther away from my own. And I think as, you know, a 16 year old or a 17 year old, like I was like, Whoa, all right, this is what the grownups are doing. Even though she was, <laughs> yeah. you know, a fellow teen. Well, I know exactly. You know, and, and I think that I want to say that she's either one, either one or two years older than me. So I mean, basically the same age. So to, you know, so to watch this as somebody is, you know, and like seeing her and being like as somebody that's a contemporary, it's like, oh, okay. But the way that they had her like stripping down and things like that, it was completely unnecessary because, you know, like the, the song stands up on its own. And a lot of times you would see, you would see videos that would, that would do that. The whole like idea that like sexuality sells, you know what I mean? And it's like, but when you have such incredible music on the front end, you don't, you know, it's like, you don't need a gimmick, but then, you know, so I did, I did go and, and do a little research about this. So it seems like that the video itself was, was wildly misunderstood and misinterpreted. What it was supposed to be about was about empowerment for her. Um, she, what she said in an interview about it was that she hated her body and that it was like a personal victory for her to be able to do something like that. You know, and I remember the video causing a huge uproar living in the in the Bible Belt in the South. You know, like there was there was a lot of talk about about what was going on in it. You know, she has a brutal past that it plays into her songwriting. You know, she's a rape survivor. She's overcome eating disorders later in her career. She decided this year, for example, not to go to the Grammys because she said in a video that she online that she wants to stay sober and she's not going to be able to do that in that environment. So, you know, this is somebody I think that has had a whole lot of, of life that, you know, that, that's happened to her. And I don't pick up at all on any, uh, on any victimhood in, in any of her songs. And, you know, I've, I pick up a lot of empowerment and I pick up a lot of really strongly talking about how it made her feel, but never from the perspective of her being a victim, which I think is, you know, something I think it really does speak to empowerment 
And while, you know, while the video itself for this, for this particular song, you know, may have had the opposite effect of what she was going for, I can see, you know, now being able to see the entire arc of her career, it makes more sense. And I mean, to be sexually assaulted at the age of 12, because if you do a little bit of research, I mean, this, I didn't know that when I was a teenager and, you know, it was the nineties and we were all listening to her and watching the videos. I had no idea, even though she did talk about it in the press, which is incredibly brave. Uh, But I mean, this really shook me. Like we've been listening to her catalog for several weeks now. And like for the first couple of weeks, like it was hard for me to, to not see everything through that lens. And the fact that, you know, she's referenced in the media, like I don't write directly about that experience at the age of 12. It's just, it's not interesting to me, which I totally respect, but obviously that's going to influence every fiber of your being in existence. I mean, how could it not? And for her to openly talk about her feelings and just about any aspects of, you know, her emotions in her life is just so brave and so vulnerable. She doesn't have to talk about it directly uh, for it to come through in her music. And I think, you know, as someone learning all of this decades after the fact, it was a little bit of a challenge to set that sorrow and pity aside for me and just to hear what she had to say and kind of see her and leave it at that and just be witness to her pain and the impact that this has had not only back then and you can feel that in some of these songs but also just moving forward decades after the fact so i mean it was it's heavy stuff i don't know how else you can say it then you read about you know, Lady Gaga has talked about being a sexual assault victim. Kesha mm-hmm. has talked about it. It's like, what the, like, when, when is the comet going to come and just crash into the earth? And when can we just sort of start this experiment all over again? It's just so hard to not feel frustrated and just feel so guilty uh, for the awful things that people have to go through. So the fact that she has any semblance of a life, I don't think that if I had gone through the circumstances that she had gone through, that I would have the strength to, to be in that position, to, to be totally honest. No, and, and, and I agree with that. And I think that's something that is, you know, possibly a little bit off topic, but I think is, I think is very important to talk about is the fact that, you know, growing up, the way that I grew up and the time that I grew up, I had absolutely no idea what type of just utter, just awfulness that women had to deal with on a daily basis. And it's not just, you know, it's not just recording artists. I mean, people in the workplace, I mean, all the kinds of, you know, stories that have now come out where you find out that it's such commonplace for people to have had these horrible experiences, you know, and it's, for me personally, it's like you, you really have to take a look in the mirror and, 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 you know, and think to yourself, have I, you know, have I perpetrated this in any kind of way? Have I said something off color that made somebody uncomfortable? And because, you know, cause like I'm, I, I manage people for a living, you know what I mean? So like for me personally, taking a step back and saying, have I ever said anything that's made somebody uncomfortable that they couldn't address with me because I was in charge of them, you know, and like, and really thinking about that and, and not wanting to put people in, in, in a position like that. And I think that having somebody like her, like Kesha, like Lady Gaga, like all the other people who have come out and actually talked about this to raise the awareness. So somebody, you know, so somebody like me can see it for what, you know, as best I can, at least 
see it for what it is and try to not be the kind of person that does that, you know, that does things like that, you know, and, and, and doing that in a way where I am actually aware of it. And, you know, and, and I think that that's really important that, that there are people that have been brave enough to come out and talk about their experience so that other people can start to wake up to the fact that they, that they need to treat people differently. Love it. Totally agree. And, you know, anyone who complains about the Me Too era and, oh, I can't even make a joke anymore. Like you, you can get bent if that is your perspective, like inappropriate. uh, We're, you know, we've got a lot of, got a lot of catching up to do. No, I agree. And it's like, you know, no, no, you can't make people purposefully uncomfortable. That's not, that's not going to be all right anymore. And I mean, thank God, you know what I mean? Like that, that, I'm glad that it is that way. So let's, uh, let's you know so <laughs> honestly you know i mean thank you to the to the people that have made have made it possible for two you know 40 year old dudes to have that conversation you know what i mean because five years ago we wouldn't have and i think that that's a, a real testament to the to the times that we live in your dreams can be deceiving like faces are two hearts they serve for sweet next track in there slow like honey uh, it has like this really great like lounge feel to it really shows off more of her like abilities and her vocal range and you're really you know we're starting to get into the middle portion of the album and and you know you get the impression that it's not she's not going to be a one-hit wonder like you realize this is this is incredibly good music yeah everything definitely has some weight and that said uh, the album starts off hot it finishes real real hot the midsection even though it's great and i like these songs the stretch from criminal to slow like honey to the first taste is like a little bit for me like where i it's all great but this is kind of like the slight dip in the album the first taste though it is funny this album is so timeless and classic in the way that it sounds uh but you will remember this song if you've listened to this album as kind of like that bossa nova track but there are some really uh specific to the 90s instrumental sort of taste uh, or selections or choices going on here there's like some 90s guitar that sounds like it could have come from the mid 80s uh, but again not a bad song just i bet if we you know had a magic eight ball and, and could ask her hey what's your least favorite song instrumentally on title i wouldn't be shocked if she said the first taste it's just like okay. a little a little a little dated that said it leads into Never Is a Promise. And I said Sullen Girl is probably my favorite track on this album. And it probably is. But man, was I just like <laughs> walloped over the head with this slow, moody ballad. That's what I was into back in the 90s. Slow, moody ballads. I didn't know it yet, but I had some emotional like digging uh, to do. Something was going on. And Never Is a Promise really spoke to that for 16-year-old Justin. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a, it's a true, it's a ballad in every in every sense. You know, the, the strings and solo piano, you know, it's a song that I didn't pay any attention to in 96. You know, I didn't have the emotional depth to understand how, you know, understand why it was such a great song. And, uh, 
listening back to it now, you know, in, in 2021, loved it. It's one of my favorites on the album also. talking directly about anything certainly stirred up thoughts of her trauma and her bravery and also the resignation and the isolation that's got to come with that hellacious experience so to be able to even broadly sort of paint the picture of what's going on uh, in her mind is really impressive yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it, you know, and, and really it kind of takes it, it takes that momentum into the, into the next song, which is The Child Is Gone. It's another song I didn't really appreciate back then. I absolutely love it now. The, the lyrics are really wonderful. You know, it, I think that the, the line is, you know, darling, give me your absence tonight. Take the shade from the canvas and leave me the white. Let me, let me sink in the silence that echoes inside and don't bother leaving the light on. So whatever is going on to the protagonist in this song, it's not great. Right, and you feel that on a very in a very visceral way. Honey, help me out of this mess. I'm a stranger to myself. Don't reach for me. I'm too far away. Yeah, and there's definitely you know themes of isolation and distance uh, that are evident there did want to mention going back a track or two that never is a promise was one of the three songs on her demo tape that she sent out and i read that she made 78 copies of her demo tape the first one found itself into (laughs) like the hands of a sony executive or i forget who it was but never is a promise is the one song that she had written even earlier uh, that made its way onto this album, which if that isn't a testament to her talents, you know, I don't know what is. Oh, I know exactly. I mean, the first person that listened to it was like, sign this girl immediately, you know, and, and I mean, thank goodness they did. We finish with a couple of songs, Pale September and Carrion. Uh, and uh, Pale September for me is, is you know, it's, it's kind of a nice, nice vibe. Uh, I remember always enjoying it. Uh, but Carrion uh, really spoke to me. And I, I think you sort of dug it too. Oh yeah, absolutely did. And, you know, for me, the, the build, uh, and I think that it's something that possibly listening to jam bands for as long as we did, we learned to appreciate a good buildup in a song, you know, like not that this song sounds at all like Piper, you know, the, the fish song, but you know, the slow build Piper is the thing of fish lore. Right. So with this, the way that this song kind of builds up, you know, it, it builds tension, Right. And then there's one of the things that just happens there is that is that it just it turns almost on a dime in the middle of the song. This song was something that when I listened to this album in 96, 
again, you know, it's funny because the stuff that I that I didn't get in '96 is the stuff that I like the most on it now. You know, like Criminal and Sh- I mean, Shadow Boxer still to me is just a, a wonderful song. There was somebody that we, I think both of us talked to online today that, you know, that had Shadow Boxer up there and said it's a perfect song. And I, I totally agree it is a perfect song. But man, the song is like, what a, what just a brilliant piece of music this song is. And to think that I listened to it in 96 and was like, pass. <laughs> you know, I was just such a moron in 96. <laughs> I, can't, I can't emphasize that enough. Yeah, well, that's, I think that's something that we're all sort of familiar with. But, and I love, I feel like you get instrumentation on the second half of the final track of this album that you haven't even heard before. Like, there's some guitar that's played through a Leslie speaker. Uh, you know, there's some strings which are found throughout the album, but there's like a strummed or kind of fanned uh, guitar that wraps the song, uh, kind of Morning Dew esque. But also like a 90s indie guitar vibe. The way the album finishes, it wouldn't be totally insane to think like, oh, you, you might hear some of this on like a Pavement album or yeah. something. So there's also like kind of a time and, and place. Uh, but man, what a what a debut album. It's just absurd. Uh, and, you know, it's one thing to like go back and listen to something that you haven't heard in 20, 25 years which is fun and it's like a treat. But when you go back and you listen to something and you think, holy moly, this is better than I thought. This is deeper than I thought. This is more substantive than I thought. That's that's something special. And was really my takeaway here with Tidal, just a masterpiece. I, I, I totally agree. I, I mean, I really, really totally agree with that. And man, did I not get it. When it when it first came out, and and that's and the funny thing about that is I actually really liked the album. I had it. I had the CD. It was in my Case Logic. That was you know, <laughs> it was on the visor of my car. Um, <laughs> one of the one of the final like fifteen slots. Very you know. In Absolutely. The- you got you've only got a few that you could put up there. It's got to be the good albums. Um, but yeah, you know, and it's like I really liked the album at the time, and now going back to it, it's like man, there's just so much more to it that as a older, slightly more mature person that I was able to pick up. And, you know, I just, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. You know, this, this album to me, A plus, you know, and I, I believe it, it did get quite a bit of critical acclaim, which it absolutely deserved. And then she comes out with her second album and the full title to her second album. Um, I don't think there's enough room on the podcast <laughs> to say the whole thing. It's a, it's an entire stanza from a poem. So it is uh, when the pawn hits the conflict, he thinks like a king. What he knows throws the blows when he goes to the fight and he'll win the whole thing for he enters the ring and there's nobody to batter when your mind is your might. So when you go solo, you hold your own hand and remember that depth is the greatest of heights. And if you know where you stand, then you know where you land. And if you fall, it won't matter because you'll know that you're right. Incredible. Right. I've got these skinny little chicken arms. Otherwise, I might contemplate getting that like tattooed on my forearm. I could fit like <laughs> eight of those words on my little my little <laughs> limbs. But it is what a little Easter egg of, you know, everyone just says, oh, win the pond, dot, dot, dot. But like it's that's impactful. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, you know, and and she is an incredible poet. She's an incredible writer. And she she has a, a way of. She has a way of combining words together for maximum impact while still practicing the art of brevity. And I know that, that it's tough to say that she practices the art of brevity when she has an album title. It's a paragraph long. 
But at the same time, when you really dig in and listen to her music, she can put three or four words together that will just gut you in a way that very few other people that, that I've, that I've listened to deeply into the lyrics have been able to do. Um, and there's just, a, there's a real art to that. It reminded me a little of like Gillian Welch and I'll draw a comparison to her in a bit, but someone who has an economy of words, uh, but can just really uh, from out of the blue deliver kind of like a gut punch. Uh, but with Fiona, it's just so much more personal as uh, contrast that with like Gillian Welch, uh, where it's a little more of like, we're painting a picture of a time gone by. Um, but the vocals here on when the pawn dot, 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 uh, the vocals are more brash. Uh, the lyrics take a step forward in pointedness and poignancy. Uh, it's important to remember, like she's 22, I believe when this album comes out so, again, I know, I was still an idiot then. And John, I'm going to go head out on a limb and say, you were probably pretty dumb too when you were in your <laughs> early twenties. I was a complete idiot. The dumbest. <laughs> <laughs> I know I was, but it's a little angrier at times. And the instrumentation here, which we talked about being lush and just, just about perfect on the first album. Uh, it can act as like another point of view, as opposed to just kind of like uh, layering, uh, in my opinion here. I think this is a growth and a step forward, to be sure, from title. And I think we've even talked about this, how there is the old adage in music that you spend your entire life writing your first album, right? And then, um, so when your first album is as successful as title was, and frankly, as good as title was. Triple then, platinum. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like then the, the expectations for Pawn you know, I'm sure that they were high, but the fact that she delivered at a level that was even above title, at least in my opinion, you know, I think that this album, if title was a masterpiece, this one absolutely is too, because for, you know, for my personal taste, I liked it more. And, you know, I think about On the Bound, right, which is the the, the opening track to this album. And it's like, <laughs> like right away, like you're greeted with the knowledge that the first album was not a fluke you know, you're, you're 40 seconds into the song and you're like, okay, like she's still, she's still definitely, Steph, definitely bringing it. song itself just absolutely sucks you in you know in a lot of ways it's almost like a march you know and it's like and it's bringing you forward so this you know this album she was in her early 20s age you know I'll, I'll stop talking about it at this point because you know we've we've i think we've well established that she is much more mature than either one of us idiots would have been um but you know i'm just thinking about from my own perspective what i was doing at 20 years old and it just solidifies that some people are put on this planet to make music you know, and there's a wide variety of instrumentation that's deployed. Uh, you know, her use of sonic textures to, to color the music, it's just it's just really, really beautifully done. And one thing that you pick up with On The Bound is that her vocals are being used a little more as, uh, I'm going to say a weapon, even though I just mean as like a means of communication, but they are like a she belts out her choruses here like you're all i need and it's not that like oh i'm a pretty sensitive girl from title i mean this like 
has a little bit of punch to it. And anytime I can hear strings on like a pop album uh, and they don't come across as schmaltzy, I'm impressed. (laughs) Shout out to my Nashville homie, Don Hart, who does a lot of composing for fish. And he had a lot of tunes, you know, that uh, were on Sigma Oasis that he pulled off really well, but Anytime you can get string, and I grew up playing the violin, anytime you can mix strings uh, with like popular music and it doesn't come across as hokey, like well done. It's not easy to do. I agree. And, you know, I will also shout out Don Hart. I don't know him personally, but boy, am I a big fan. So, you know, everything that everything that I have been made aware uh, and really, I can thank Twitter for that, that I've been made aware of that he has done. It's just been, it's, it's really been wonderful. You go right on to To Your Love, right? Same thing with this song. It's a great song. She has just such a beautiful voice. And it's, you know, it's a bizarre experience for me, you know, to think about like her voice as 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 an instrument that she's using, because it's not just the words that she's saying, it's the way that she delivers it that, that makes such a huge impact. There's just multiple layers to dig into. I find myself just as intensely listening to both the both the music and the lyrics, which is something that I usually reserve only for folk music, to be honest with you. You know, so to, to have so to have music that's a little bit more I don't want to say pop because I don't think that's accurate, but a little bit more mainstream, I guess, in nature uh, and to be listening that intent, intently to what she's saying. Um, there's there's really something there's something special about that. Um, you know, her voice is most certainly an instrument that she uses to add texture to the songs. And man, she just has a lot to say. You know, the, the, the line that sticks out is, please forgive me for my distance. Shame is manifest in my resistance to your love. You know, like, come on. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so powerful. so much to unpack in a single line in the song you know like we could spend we could spend the next 20 minutes trying to unpack that one stanza and her entire body of work is filled with stanzas that are just as impactful as that her emotional iq is beyond mensa level it is just just insane way way up there i like the rhythm here it's uh, almost like that bossa nova track on the first album uh, the first taste uh, but on steroids and like a, a, a little less hokey. Uh, and I also, like I mentioned, her left hand on the piano leaning toward the lower end of the register. But the strings here, uh, which to me sound like viola and cello, and there's definitely some stringed bass uh, throughout her albums. Um, but it's just a, a great contrast to her singing and a compliment. And this comes across as kind of like an angry groove uh, that you know, throwback to our Funkadelic episode. There are some songs where you're like, yeah, it was four minutes. I wish it was, you know, 24 minutes. <laughs> right. This kind of has that same vibe. Yeah, no, exactly. And then, you know, and then you get into Limp, which is the the first single. I, I found what songs they chose as the singles on this album, you know, and maybe it's just looking back at it in retrospect. I, I don't know that I would have chosen all the same songs as the singles, but this is just another, it's just a very well-crafted song. There's a lot of just really interesting sonic textures that are happening all throughout the song. But no matter what I try, you'll be me with your bitter lies. So call me crazy, hold me down, make me cry. Get off now, baby. It won't be long till you be lying, living your own hands. And I love that 
the drums are a little more prominent. The rhythm is a little more prominent throughout this album. It's a little less, you know, piano ballads and a little more like I'm going to do what I do, but atop this like momentous kind of percussive groove. I think that there's like a little cowbell or maybe she's just like drumming on a jar or something but it's if it is cowbell it's the most tasteful cowbell that we've ever heard (laughs) very classic use of cowbell right we need more of it we need more cowbell (laughs) Um, but i love the duality of her words sometimes i will hear things incorrectly in this tune when i think of it my fingers turn to fist i never did anything to you man I heard, when I think of it, my fingers turned to fist. I never did anything human, but pretty impressive. Uh, then we get into the third track, Love Ridden, a tender breakup song. Feels a little bit like a throwback to the first album, uh, but I did uh, really enjoy some of the lines where she's talking about the, the dissolution of this relationship. And she says, Only kisses on the cheek from now on and in a little while alone they have to wait My hand won't hold you down no more The path is clear to follow through I stood too long in the way of the door Very eloquently talking about, you know, how relationships between people can change just so dramatically uh, over the course of time, but nails it. Yeah, no, exactly. It's like, and you just feel like you can feel the love slipping away, you know, and it's like, and it's just, it's such a human experience, like in the way that she sings about it, she sings about it in such a human way where it's like, you know, it, it puts you, there's so many, she's she's such a great lyricist and storyteller that it puts you where you create the scene of what's happening in your mind as you're listening to her sing about it. Um, you know, it's just, it's just brilliant. I just, I, it, it's, it's hard for me to come up with enough, <laughs> with enough colorful ways to compliment her because I'm just, I'm so impressed with her music. And then you go into, you know, the next song is, is paper bag. It was the third single, another great song. Yeah. And it's really interesting because the, the lyrical takeaway on paper bag is basically she's kind of saying like, I'm a mess that you don't want to clean up. I got to fold because these hands are too shaky to hold. And that's in pretty stark contrast uh, to earlier on this album in the song limp, where she says, you want the badge of honor when you save my hide. So it's like, Hey, I'm struggling versus, Hey, I don't need you to save me. And again, it gets back to kind of just respecting her experiences, respecting her trauma, which I'm sure is a lot easier to do when you're listening uh, and you've never met the woman uh, versus if you were like connected in real life. Um, But it also paints the picture of like the deep divides, uh, the yin, the yang, that someone who's experienced something awful is forced to exist between. It's a real catch 22 and that's putting it super lightly. Well, I agree. And I think that it's something that even if you haven't gone through something awful, you know, there's going to be things about your personality that are contradictory, you know, and there's going to be times where, you know, where you are upset and what you want in that time is you want somebody to, 
you know, to, to talk that through with you and, and to give you advice on like, you know, on, on like what you should do next. Right. And then there's sometimes when you're upset and somebody giving you advice is just, it's just repellent. You know, it's like, you just don't, you won't want to be anywhere near you anymore. It's like, I just want you to listen. And who's to say what the, you know, what it is that triggers either one of those things. She can sing about both of those things and have them, you know, and have them be contradictory and not seem contradictory because they're both lived experiences that everybody, everybody can relate to. And both come across very authentically. And I mean, what are we if we're not walking contradictions? Yeah, of course. I would love uh, to have your complete adulation and uh, your approval, but I also uh, don't care and would like to have that on my own terms. Thank you very much. I want your adulation. Do not put me on a pedestal. <laughs> yeah, we're we're humans. We're we're complicated, uh, extraordinary machines. To tease ahead to the next yeah. album here, yeah, uh, very true. A mistake, uh, which I feel like is really kind of emblematic of this whole album, in that it has some confidence. This is the song that does remind me of a Gillian Welch tune, uh, Miss Ohio. Fiona says, I want to make a mistake. Why can't I make a mistake? And she says it with a little sass and a little attitude and a little, I'm going to punch you in your face if you don't get out of my way. Uh, Whereas look at Miss Ohio is, I want to do right, but not right now. But not right now. One of my favorite lines in in all of music is, I want to do right, but not right now. She says, I want to do right, but not right now. Not that this is a Gillian Welch episode, but that she was humming that in like the bathroom mirror and Dave Rawlings was like, what are you humming? Oh, me, oh, my, oh, look at Miss Ohio. He's like, boom, we're turning that into a song. Shout out to you. Uh, You covered that song, saw it on YouTube on the internets and uh you nailed it man i didn't know you had these kind of talents we knew you were a good podcaster look at you playing guitar and singing yeah so that's uh that's something that i've started doing again i I played a lot of guitar when i was younger and it's one of those things that as life got lifey that i kind of gave up on doing i met a uh i met a guy named nick um who is connected with with my with my network here and uh, he's a, he's a fan of the same music that we are. And he came over one night and brought a guitar over, and it was like, we're in a band, like we're doing this. Awesome. And it might be, you know, it might be a, a band in the sense that we put songs on YouTube, or maybe we'll gig. I'm not sure, but yeah, I mean, both of us really, really, really like that song, and uh, that was that was a fun one to play. Like that was. You know, it's as infectious to play as it is to hear. You'll know you've arrived when you're playing a gig with your buddy Nick in New Hope, Pennsylvania, and who's the guitarist? Michael Hampton shows yeah, up Michael and Hampton just shows up, pops on the stage <laughs> and plugs in. We'll, we'll be we'll go to John and Peters. We'll go to John and Peters and, and wait for Kid Funkadelic to show up. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, going back to Fiona, the uh, a mistake is really it's one of my favorites on the entire album. I mean, who can choose? I mean, really, at this point with any of these albums to say, for me to say with any sincerity that, that any song on the album is my absolute favorite, I can't do that because there's so many of them that I like so much. Um, but this one definitely stands out as one of the ones that I connected with the most. Yeah, it was so great. And I mean, and the first single that's released from this album, Fast As You Can...
Coming too soon, I don't know how to live without my head on his throat. I fight him always and still. I mean, it swings like we are getting into like rhythmic territory. And I do love the rhythmic arc that you can track across her discography. But it's featuring drums, which we weren't really getting a whole lot of on the debut album. So that's nice. You know, this didn't sell as many albums as title. This was a success, right? When the Pawn dot 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 was like a platinum album eventually, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. It sold a million copies with almost no radio play. And Fast As You Can, I think, was the only song that got even... It, it, it would be a stretch to say that it got significant radio play. It was played on the radio, but she still still sold a million copies of this record. Um, so, I mean, you know, I think that that definitely speaks to the strength of her first album that so many people bought the second one without it without it being, you know, hugely commercialized. Um, you know, and then and then the next song is, is The Way Things Are. You know, another just... You had talked about this before, how a lot of these songs just have like a swing to them. And there's almost like a swagger, you know, that kind of comes along with some with some of these melodies. You know, her piano playing is extremely impactful. Um, you know, I've, I've read that she was classically trained. Um, I would be very curious to know what her early influences were. Uh, I mean, she's just she's not only an incredibly talented poet, an incredibly talented lyricist, you know, and songwriter. She's also an incredibly talented pianist. Um, you know, she uses her incredible skills. Um you know, and it just it just takes you it takes you to places that are that are unexpected. And she takes turns musically that to me, I my brain doesn't naturally resolve to the place that she will have her that, that she'll have her piano resolve. So keep names, keep on, keep on. And she does really surprise you as, uh, especially as we get into some of the later albums, how she's able to like move from one section to another. And with most people, it wouldn't work, but with her, it just ends up kind of perfect. But this song, The Way Things Are, uh, hello, we have slide guitar, like edgy slide guitar. Pretty unique. Haven't heard that before. But the way that the chorus, keep on calling me names, keep on, keep on, is integrated perfectly with that slide guitar. You would think that a slide guitar has been part of her band like for her entire existence, but no, this is just like a one-off song. And you know, you mentioned, yeah, she's classically trained, also uh, big into jazz standards, played a lot of those on the piano as a kid, uh, loved Billie Holiday, loved Ella Fitzgerald. Luckily for her and for us, you know, her vocal range kind of trended in that direction. And she's also a self-described Maya Angelou fanatic, uh, which explains just... Explains a lot. If she had no musical talent and couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, she would be an incredible poet, in my opinion. Right in line with you know her, her childhood hero and her adult hero, Maya Angelou. And, and knowing who, you know, I, I was curious who her musical influences were and hearing you say that it makes perfect sense. I mean, as you know, the vocal range matches up, the soulfulness and the way that she sings matches up. The fact that, that all of the people that you mentioned really have something to say it all, it all definitely matches up. The next song that, that's on there is Get Gone, which is, you know, it's another relationship gone wrong. And the in, and kind of like what I got from it was the internal struggle of like what's next, right? So it's like a very like vulnerable song that shifts between like hurt and fear and anger, you know, and, and trying to figure out like what to, what to do. 
You got your game, made your shot, and you got away with a lot, but I'm not turned on. So put away that meteor seven, 'cause I do know what's good for me, and I've done what I could for you, but you're not. And the way that she can pivot from like the tender beginnings of this song—I mean, it's like very jazzy, like brushed drums, uh, delicate piano—but uh, then it turns on a dime as she gets into the song. Because I do know what's good for me, and I've done what I could for you. And it's said with more confidence uh, before the chorus. Kind of ends up angry. How can I deal with this if he won't get with this? I mean, we're just. Really moving from emotional、uh, touchstone to touchstone over the course of like four minutes, and I think that some of that has to come from from the poetry that she enjoys, because poetry can do that, right? It's like you know every stanza can can move can move the story along at whatever pace you know that that the, that the poet wants it to, and she really deploys that in in a, in a unique way with her with her songwriting, you know. And then there was the next song, which is I know it's a, a soulful ballad. I think it's about dating somebody that's still in love with their ex, and you know, and like waiting for that whole thing to improve, which I think that you know a lot of people probably have that experience also, right? Where it's like you know you're you date somebody who's clearly not ever the last person that they dated. And yeah, what a like tender kind of pensive album closer in that tune. And you know, the piano ballads really typify the first album. At least for some reason in my brain, that's the way I think of it. Even though there's lots of punch in that first album,、um, whereas when the pawn dot 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 has more energy, there's a little more anger, a little more rhythmic, and you can really easily chart her growth from album one to album two. And to me, it's a step forward in every respect. I mean, we'll get into our rankings as we talk more about this discography, but title was. Tugs on my heartstrings, and then when you listen deeper to when the pawn, it's like, no, this, this is actually kind of better in just about all the all the categories. So that's an impressive trajectory. I wonder if she's going to be able to keep it up. <laughs> that is a question that we're going to have to answer next week.、It's、your humble editor, Justin here. Whew, we talked a lot about Fiona Apple's first two albums because they're really, really good. But we're going to have some deeper listening into her next three albums next week. So we hope you'll stay tuned for that. We'll learn brevity at some point in time, or we won't. Who knows? That's the fun of the deeper listening podcast. So thank you so much for listening.、Uh, if you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast and please feel free to leave a review. You can also find us on Twitter at Listen Deeper or on Instagram at Deeper underscore Listening underscore Podcast. We'd love to know what you think, what you like, and what you know. We'll look forward to talking to you next time.
Thanks, as always, to the incredible Thomas Wing for our theme music. Get into a better mood, indeed. Check out his Bandcamp page at blackoutmakeout.bandcamp.com. There will be a link in the show notes. Thanks so much. Thank you.